Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 118. Thank you for joining us. Earlier in the year at a Colby meeting, we discovered that many of the Colby faculty and staff didn't start their lives out as Catholics, but later found their way to the church. Chrissy Almanzar and Everett Bayarski joined Bonnie and I to discuss these journeys and how the initial conversion is really only the beginning. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Stephen, do you have a favorite conversion of a saint story? I do. Um, it's been a while since I've gone through it, but St. Augustine it was, was one that came up in my conversion process. And, uh, and with being kind of a person who likes to focus on the intellectual and go through the arguments and, and seeing his journey in that call, it's just, it was a beautiful conversion for me to, to read about while I was going through the process. So, and it's one of my confirmation names. So I, I definitely will stick with St. Augustine. Oh. Can't argue with that. And I was really impressed with the, when my rising 12th grader was reading St. Augustine in 10th grade, what effect that had on him reading that at that time. That was really neat to see. We are changing pace a bit today so that we can get to know two of our go-tos a little better in areas that inform their expertise and ability to walk alongside homeschooling families. Everett Vyarski and Christy Amanzar are here with us again to tell us stories about their odysseys and Catholicism. Hello, you two. Hi, Bonnie. Afternoon. Afternoon. There's so much to the fine folks that we interact with on, on the other side of the phone or email or whatever you guys here at Colby that the, that the families interact with. Here's a way that we can kind of get to know you here a little bit better. And so we would love to kind of find out more about how you have come to the place you are today in your own walk with Christ. Chrissy, we've heard parts of your story along the way in some of the episodes you've you've graced us with and Jordan your husband Jordan has told us parts of his story as well would you take us back to the beginning if if there is you know where where you think of as the beginning or sort of the stepping off point and kind of share your story with us for those who haven't caught those episodes sure um when i think of my conversion experience i have two really um the first one is when i became a christian um i was not brought up Christian or religious at all. Um, although my father was raised Catholic okay. and I guess they did attend mass as well, but, but they kind of lived for a little bit further away from us. So we didn't have as much access to that side of the family. Hmm. Um, so I wasn't really a part of that side of the family and their religious traditions. Okay. Yeah. So I had a lot of questions as a kid and, and some, I also had some assumptions that I don't, I still don't even know why, um, I had them. So for example, growing up, I was always very, um, very, I, I had a lot of questions. I always had a ton of questions about God and things I would hear about Jesus. I was always wanting to know who was Jesus. I didn't understand how he could be God's son and God at the same time. I would ask these questions to people. I didn't know anyone who could give me an answer to that question. Hmm. And um, I, I was in high school, you know, still asking that question, still didn't know anyone who could answer that. So I had lots of questions. I did always, for some reason, believe that the Bible was true. I don't really know why. The, my only guess is that I had a great, great aunt, Catherine, who was devoutly Catholic. And um, she lived to be, I think, 90, almost 100, 97, maybe. Wow. Um, and so she was like a grandmother to me. And, um, she had, we would look at her Bible and we would look at her prayer cards and she had her rosary. She was very faithful, but, um, also very old. And, um, so, so I, I wonder if it was from, from that experience with her, where I just kind of believed the Bible to be true, even though when I would try to read it, I could not make any sense of it. So I had just a lot of questions and not really anyone who could answer my questions. Um, Fast forward to the high school years where I'm, I, I still have these questions, but yeah, kind of looking anywhere I could find. So this is the time where I, when I'm reading all about other religions, I'm reading all about anything I can get my hands on, you know, from lots of new age um, stuff to um, 
Judaism to um, Buddhism, anything I could, anything I could find. And so I, I kind of had this idea that Catholicism didn't probably have the answers. And the reason I came to that conclusion is because the only people I knew, I didn't really know any evangelicals at that point. The only people I knew were Catholics, but they weren't, they weren't living, you know, they weren't living up to the ideal uh, Catholic life. So um, I kind of had this idea, well, if they don't know the answers to these questions, I have to look somewhere else, you know? Mm, Um, And so the only other access I had to anything religious were the evangelical channels, TV channels. So this is back like in 98, 1998. Um, I don't know if you know, like these stations on tv where they have evangelical like preachers who are like say this prayer uh, you know describing they're describing me like you if you if you're wondering you know wondering this or if you don't know how to get past this or whatever say this prayer and jesus will come into your heart and Hmm. all all of this so i'm thinking yeah yeah okay so i'm saying this prayer i'm literally saying this prayer almost every day of my life because I never felt Jesus come into my heart. So, so it was, it was confusing. I had like kind of both opposite ends of the spectrum, but no real understanding at all. Fast forward a couple years, I guess, you know, I was graduated. I started to get the strong urge to just go as far as I could away from home, which is a whole other set of issues. But like, I'm thinking I'm just, I just need to go and try to figure these things out. Um, and I do think of that, I do think that was an answer. That was a part of the answer to my prayer of trying to figure out, God, who are you? Who are you? And why do I feel this short fallenness? What, what is, what does this mean? What is, you know, um, so I, I move away from home. I'm 18 years old and I meet a girl. She is, um, a Baptist and I didn't know what that meant at the time, but she's a Christian. And she had an answer for every question, (laughs) every question I asked, she had an answer, whether or not it was, (laughs) um, you know, exactly the right answer, whatever it was an answer. And I, and every time she would give me an answer about the Trinity, about Jesus and how he could be God and God's son. I thought, you know, this just, I believe this, it's easy to believe. It wasn't difficult to believe. She was teaching me, um, the gospel as it, as we read it in scripture, and I it was so easy to believe. I thought, okay, this this must be it. And so I was 18 when this happened. Um, and I finally felt like, okay, I have some kind of, um, I don't know, some kind of direction as to how to live my life or how to apply this, this spiritual feeling I'm feeling and, and what it means for my life, this spiritual lack, you know, and what it means for my life. And um, she, we were actually supposed to, uh, be roommates. She had just moved out. So, so I moved to Long Beach, California. She had moved there too, um, from tech, from Houston, Texas. And, um, literally I drove as far as I could until I couldn't drive anymore. And that was Long Beach, California. Yes. So, um, we met there, we were going to become roommates and we needed to become roommates, um, to survive. <laughs> and then last minute she said, I'm really sorry. I just feel like I need to go home. I just want to go home. Oh no. So, Oh, no. She's like, I know this, What I don't know what this means for you, but you're welcome to come with me. Hmm. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so I went with her um, and, and moved, then we moved to, to Houston and I lived in her, she's an only child. I lived with her and, and her mom and her dad. I want to say it was a summer. So maybe two months, maybe more, maybe three months in Houston. And that was really my first experience with a Christian family. It was the first time I remember being in the home with, you know, her mom was there, her dad was there and they read the Bible together. They went to church anytime the church had anything, you know, anytime it was open, they were there. And I was my first experience with living like a, a, I guess a Christian lifestyle where you have the support you need. And, and there's no, there's all of these things that were problems in my home life before were just gone. Hmm. So, um, that is where I feel like I, I, apart from just believing the things she told me about scripture. And then I began to read for myself apart from that, there was a real, um, feeling that I had never felt before, which was, I feel like I became, I I was able to kind of know God because I felt his love. 
I hadn't really ever felt that before. Not only had I not felt it, but I hadn't responded to it. And so this period was like the first time I was able to really feel it and respond. And that lasted a couple months, but it was it was kind of the foundation of my faith and and kind of we went went on from there. I ended up moving back. Um, she and I have kept in touch, but but yeah, so I ended up moving back to Long Beach eventually. Um, and, and that was sort of my first, that's what I consider my first conversion (laughs) experience. Um, but then there's Mm -hmm. the second one where, you know, after years and years of prayer and study where, uh, my husband and I, and my daughter received into the Catholic faith. And that, that happened about eight years later. Okay. As you were describing that feeling God's love that way, I was thinking about that, how we are able to love because we are first, we are loved first, and we, we can't love until, without knowing that we are loved. Yeah, well, the, the whole thing for me was, I, I had in my mind that I would somehow find the answer, I would find the truth, and it would, I would be able to somehow learn how to behave in a manner that would make life easier or something. It wasn't really about an inner disposition or about God's love, or I didn't have any idea that there was any God that actually loved me. Like, that was completely, I wasn't even looking for that. But, but I was just trying to figure out how to, I guess, how to, you know, um, you know, I'm not, I, it was so long ago. I have, a, I was trying to think about what was the question actually on my heart, like that I was, cause I would plead over it. I was like, and really it was, I was, I was trying to figure out who God was. I didn't know what any of it meant, what my life was supposed to be. Was God even, you know, watching, you know? all of those questions. So when, when it became real for me was when I could really feel, um, it really isn't just about how I conduct myself or how I behave, um, you know, cause I had gotten into all kinds of bad stuff in high school, just doing everything but studying, <laughs> was, you know, you know, and the, and the same thing in, in Southern California, there was 101 ways to get yourself in trouble. So, um, for me, it was always about like how to behave, you know, or how, how we act. And I hadn't even imagined that it was actually about love. I, I, I couldn't have even fathomed that until I felt it. And then I knew, and then I felt like I knew God. When you feel his love, you're like, okay, I know who he is. So it was a kind of a time of turmoil, lots of change. Um, I had to also, also kind of figure out how I was going to live when everyone I knew would, would just you know, everyone I knew in my life, acquaintances, friends, family, they would have thought I was nuts, you know, watching me live with this family, going to church like three, four times a week, reading the Bible in our spare time, they would have thought this, this is nuts, (laughs) you know? And one of my friends actually even asked me before I came home, she, she imagined that I was going to be like dressing like a Jehovah's witness or something. She thought like when she she saw me again, that I was going to be, you know, like some like involved in a cult or something totally different. And they had no, they just had no way to understand what I had been through, but also none, none of them really understood what I was lacking to begin with. So it was just like God totally filled up all of, um, you know, it, he made, he made the, the, the problem clear in, in this time and the solution came at the same time. And, and previously I didn't even know what the problem was. I mean, I didn't know any of it. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was a, a really powerful time when, when evangelicals talk about having a born again experience. I mean, this is what I think of because it was like an interior change. My desires changed. Um, the things that I enjoyed changed, you know, it was just a, a very strong, uh, change in in my life that you couldn't I mean you you couldn't not see it but I was still very uneducated I mean it really really uneducated in the faith and also in in a lot of things I had never been a serious student before that and and it was really you know wanting to learn more about scripture and religion um, is kind of what turned me onto the road of academics before, you know, in high school, I was not academic at all. I wasn't interested. And so it, it changed my life in, in so many ways. You, it's probably hard to even ex- express it all. Um, but, but then that's, that's what kind of led us on the path to, to Catholicism is once we get on the path of academics and we're learning about 
world religion. For me specifically, it came from my background in um, Israelite religion and ancient Jewish studies. And when I saw um, what I saw the ancient Israelite religion was, and, and I was very familiar then with evangelical, you know, traditions, or if you ever want to call it that, but the evangelical faith. And we had access to other churches in, in Long Beach that we would occasionally go to because, you know, we went to the Greek Orthodox Church because Jordan was learning Greek. And uh, we went occasionally to the Episcopal Church because they offer daily um, services, uh, which our, our church didn't. We, we began to love the liturgy is, is sort of what how that started. And yeah, so learn that with his, learning the history um, and, and then also learning about ancient Israelite religion and just how, just how much the fulfillment of it was, is not really in the Baptist church I was in, but I was able to see it in the liturgy and in, um, what I would come to know as Catholicism. I didn't know that yet, but like, so for me, it was really through the, the study of ancient Israelite religion that I was able to really open up to liturgy and sacraments and ritual and all of that. Um, and then for my husband, it was more of uh, reading, you know, medieval authors. And, and we came to the point where we basically just said, we have read people from all different religions, but I don't think we had ever read about Catholicism from a Catholic. We had only read about Catholicism from evangelicals or or a lutheran or uh, you know lots of different people in an academic way maybe or or maybe not even but no catholics and so we're like yeah we really should read what the catholics say about catholicism <laughs> and once we did that oh boy we were really scared because we were like i remember we were students we had barely any money and jordan was like we have to buy this book and i'm like oh no so we buy the book and and he he was so scared. I remember he got it home. He read it like in, in one setting. And this was one of G.K. Chesterton's books. I don't remember which one, but he would know. And he said afterwards, I'm really scared we're going to become Catholic. <laughs> and I was like, well, because it was the one thing that neither one of our families would really understand. I mean, his family, his father was was Catholic, but then became a Baptist pastor um, all of his family members, his cousins, his brothers, they're all Baptist ministers or, or missionaries, grandparents. I mean, it goes really far and wide. Yeah. And, and they're not just the kinds that, you know, felt like kind of neutral about Catholicism, but they actually can kind of scare you about it. And yeah. so they wouldn't understand. And then, and then my family, my immediate family were really confused too. Like, of all the things you've been into, like, wh how did you, how did you come back to this? Um, but it, it, it took, it took a few years of prayer. Once we kind of knew it was going that way, it took a few years of prayer and just uh, trying to, trying to understand some of the things that we didn't understand about church teaching, you know, and, and, and we came to the point really where we said, we may not understand everything until we are received fully into the church. There are some things that we're, if we can assent to the development of doctrine, then we can accept that, okay, maybe, maybe this is something that um, I have to just hand over to the authority of the church and say, maybe I don't understand it. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that I don't have to understand that, you know, unlike Luther, I don't have to um, say that I have to understand with my own reason or, or I can't believe it. And letting go like that was all, was also a really freeing experience, being able to say, I'm not responsible for my own salvation. What I know and what I'm able to articulate um, is not what saves me. Um, but I can just kind of say, you know, I, I acknowledge the church has the authority in these, in these areas, and I may not understand, and I'm okay with that. But it's true, when we did, when we were received into the church, those doctrines that that we were the most confusing for us quickly became some of our favorite uh, teachings that we that we didn't have previously. Like like Our Lady, I mean, she was um, the the really confusing one for me. That very easily afterwards became so simple, and my favorite. I mean, my favorite thing now that I didn't have before. So, so wow. that's kind of a long way of of 
talking about the the journey to to Catholicism, it was a, a lot of different kind of turns in the road, I guess. But it's beautiful. I just love. I mean, with it's every conversion story I hear, it's it's always that that you just get that sense of being chosen and led. You know, so the the seeds planted, like why did you think the Bible was such a, you know, that, that it's there. And then that longing again, that everybody feels um, because nothing here is really going to satisfy, but then just this random friendship in from a, a girl from Houston that, that suddenly it's like, why and how, and, but just at at the right time and, those things, those elements are, I mean, it's, I shouldn't be surprised. I don't know why I'm always surprised, but because obviously the providence of God, he's He's in control of all of these things, but it's just beautiful to see in each story how all of those pieces fit together again so magnificently. Yeah, I, I knew when, when I found myself at Houston and I was faced with like, okay, I can't, I know I can't stay here forever. So like, I have to do something now and, and I have people wanting me to come home and then I'm wanting to go back where I was in, in Long Beach. And, and I'm thinking, okay, what do I do now? I knew that God had answered my prayer. All those prayers I had prayed with the TV evangelist, um, you know, in my, in my high school years, I, I knew then I felt like, why isn't God hearing me or answering my prayer? But when I found myself in Houston, I knew he, he really did answer my prayer. It, it took all that time. Um, and, and, and maybe that was why I had such a strong urge to, to go somewhere else, you know, because there was some, some way I would, or, you know, some person I would meet that, you know, he, God knew, God knew, but I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and it, it probably would have looked, could have looked like craziness, you know, you're 18. Why do you want to just go so far away? But I'm, I'm really glad I did. So, um, I know if my, if my child said that to me, I would be a mess, <laughs> but <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it, he really, he really did answer, um, the prayers from all those years earlier. When you came to the point where you were, you made the decision to assent to some of the teachings that you didn't quite fully understand, what, what was that like? I mean, honestly, it was like flipping a switch. It was hard to flip the switch, but once I did, it was like, all of it made sense. I, I I was, I didn't realize as a Protestant how much I felt like I had to do certain things to be saved. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Protestants say that about Catholics. Mm -hmm. Protestants often say, oh, you have to have the sacraments. You have to go to mass. You have to do this in order to be saved. But you're saved because of Jesus. You don't earn your salvation. But as a Protestant, I felt so much more like I, and I didn't realize it until the end when I'm reading about Catholicism from Catholics, I'm thinking, that is a heavy weight. That is a really heavy weight that not only do I have to know all of this, I also have to be able to articulate it enough to evangelize so that others can hear it. And who am I, you know, and then, and then even more than that, you know, I have to worry about that. I have to understand it correctly because even if you don't understand the right teaching, I mean, there, I have, I've heard, I've heard Baptist pastors and, and Protestant pastors tell you, like, if, if he believes that he is not saved, it's like even belief now. Hmm. So not only do I have to know it, I have to be able to explain it. And I have to make sure I understand it correctly, because if I'm misunderstanding, I may not be safe. That is all really heavy. That's a heavy weight. Sure. And, and it's, you don't realize it because you tend to think that you tend to think you're right. You don't really think that you're not understanding it correctly. You think you know it and you think that you're, you know, the Holy Spirit is kind of synonymous with what you think, you know, yeah. sometimes. Yeah. But it wasn't until I thought, you know what, that um, and, and really going to Germany and, and learning about Luther in Germany and seeing the sort of logical progression of what Lutheranism is today. It is not American Protestantism. It's something very different. But seeing what it's turned into there, um, I was able to see in a different way. Yeah, I don't identify at all with his teachings. I don't identify. So if I don't, then how, how do I skip, you know, how do I skip to becoming a Baptist Protestant? Yeah. So we had to go back. I mean, it took a lot of time look, and also self-reflection because we wanted to be able to say, I was wrong about this and I'm able to kind of, you know, 
believe some when I find something to be true to believe it and not hold on to what I what I had been you know involved with for for five years or whatever so all of those things together helped it put it into a perspective where we just didn't identify anymore as Protestants and we weren't sure what to do with that but we were still you know pretty nervous about becoming Catholic and what that meant but but once once we were able to acknowledge that we aren't responsible, we really aren't responsible for our salvation. And the church has the authority to, you know, to develop doctrine. And we don't have to be scared of that. It's not man, you know, changing the truth that was in scripture, but instead it's, you know, the church has this, the, the, the duty and the authority to protect scripture. You know, our understanding of it deepens and same with tradition. It, understanding deepens but it doesn't change the faith isn't changing so then it became easy it was like okay there are these few doctrines that we really bothered us as protestants that we just really didn't understand our lady was one uh, for me specifically and so i thought all right we're in this habit now of reading catholic so I'm, i went and got saint louis de montfort's and um true devotion so i'm reading that i'm thinking wow what a beautiful idea he has if only it were real if only it were true that would be amazing like so many so many times i found myself reading thinking oh man could that be true like i just didn't imagine and so in a real way it was like in a childlikeness kind of way handing over the authority and saying i'm not i can't save myself and i, I would do a horrible job even if i tried and so it was like, it was like returning to, in some way, like returning to the faith that I had as a kid where I just believed a few little simple things, but I didn't really, I didn't know who God was. I hadn't experienced his love, but becoming Catholic was like, I had it all. Not only did I had, can I experience God's love, but I can experience him in truth as well. And, and that, that kind of childlike faith that I had sort of came alive again which I had lost, I really lost as a Protestant because of that, I think because of that heavy weight of feeling um, so responsible for, for my salvation. Wow. Well, I think one of the, the fun things as I'm you know, listening to this is, uh, on one hand, our stories are very, very different. Uh, on the other hand, I think there's, there's certainly some commonalities that are present there, which I think is always, it's always one of the fun things when you listen to to these kinds of stories, these faith stories, is is hearing the both the differences, but also the commonalities of the you know where are you pulling things out. Um, and for me, the, the biggest commonality that jumps out to me was you know, your comment about the experience of uh, a God who who loves you, who cares for you. It's that that personal experience. Because uh, the parts of my story that are very different is I so I um, early on I was raised my my uh, mother was Presbyterian. And she converted to Catholicism when I was in third grade. And obviously, as kids, we don't we just go along with whatever parents are doing. That we, it's not like we have a, a whole lot of say in the matter. And my initial experience to that was, well, this is a terrible choice because being a Presbyterian was a lot of fun. You know, we'd go, we'd have the services were enjoyable, and we'd have like grape juice and bread, and then and then the youth group we had, did a lot of fun games. Um, and the the Catholic CCD was dreadfully boring. Um, and the the Catholic uh, services were just meh, you know, it was just kind of a very generic, it was never, it was never interesting, it was never appealing, it was never exciting, uh, and part of that, I'm thinking back now, part of it might be going, oh, maybe that might have something to do with the whole, the the ADD bit with me, I, you know, I hadn't really, that doesn't occur to me until much later in life, um, but so my experience was, this is a terrible choice, but because, it's a terrible choice because it just, it's not enjoyable to me, um, it's not like there's any sort of, you know, deep understanding of what's going on, um, at the same time, the, there was always, uh, to anybody who knows me or people who probably heard me talking here, it's probably, it's not a, probably a big shock to you to know that most of my, my life tended to be very academic in orientation. And so when I was bored at, at church, both, uh, at, at, as a Presbyterian and as a Catholic, uh, what I did is I read the Bible. Um, you know, my mom had gotten me a youth, uh, one of those kind of like youth Bibles and I'd just sit there and read the Bible. So I'd read the Bible, I don't know, half a dozen times over the course of a, however many years, um, you know, in elementary school. So the, the knowledge piece was, was never an issue. Um, what does the Bible say? Yeah, I can tell you, you know, what's going on in various Bible stories and, you know, familiar and, you know, anytime you have those little competitions of how fast you look at a Bible verse, I can do it pretty quickly. You know, all of those sorts of things. So there's never a lack of knowledge about 
um, you know, what does the Bible say or, or what does, um, you know, what's being taught about something. But there was also, I mean, really no personal connection whatsoever to any of that. Um, and especially with, with the experience of, of becoming Catholic and just, again, and, and in particular, when I say that the CCD was dreadful, I mean, it was truly dreadful. I mean, there was nothing, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't filled with, with a sense of, uh, it just, it was, it, was, it was just dreary. You know, you would attend and you'd have some boring worksheet and people wouldn't interact. It's, it, it I mean, it's probably the, the worst, I mean, I'm like, wow, no wonder people weren't into this, right? I can, you know that, that that we're struggling. So there's 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 that aspect of you know it, it it didn't it didn't appeal to me it didn't call to me and so I never had didn't have really a personal experience of anything. Um, and then the you know there's always other life experiences that affect all of this. You know in my case, um, you know, experience with uh, attending public school um, and dealing with with uh, bullying really led to a, a, a hardening of my heart um, as the way to to protect myself. Right, um, is just shut off everything. Um, and connection. Uh, and so as a result, kind of going through, you know, late elementary school and then into middle school, um, you, you can't selectively harden your heart. It's kind of an all or nothing sort of deal. So it's a, it's a hardening your heart to everything, to both to, to people, but also certainly to God, as far as any sort of relationship. And so as a result, going through the middle school, I was both A, deeply academic uh, and highly successful academically, and B, uh, deeply unhappy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a result of those things. And I think one of the common patterns that I can see in my own life is that the way God gets through to me is he has to, he has to put something in me to, to crack that shell, the hardness of the heart before anything can possibly happen. And in my case, it was a, an experience on a, they needed some additional help. They had a mission trip to Mexico that was going on and they didn't have enough people. And someone said, Hey, you know, whatever, why don't you go? Uh, I, said, well, I mean, they're going to Mexico. That sounds kind of neat. Um, you know, and I guess they'll do some work things, which is fine. You know, I, I don't mind helping out doing whatever it is they're doing. But that was good. the the crack for me there was again knowing that my experience of being deeply unhappy, not really understanding why, um, but the the simplicity of interacting. We were we're serving um, a number of kids there in the barrio outside of a good sized town um, there in in kind of central Mexico, and the these children were I mean the poorest of the poor, um, but. The interactions that they're having with us of, I mean, we did, uh, my biggest memories, I brought down, I brought a baseball bat and a baseball and was teaching these kids baseball uh, and the kids loved it and they were thrilled to death. Um, and and the, so the biggest experience there was these kids have absolutely nothing. They have no reason to be happy. Uh, and yet there's this, this, there's a sense of joy that's, that's occurring in these children who have nothing because they love each other and their parents love them. Um, and maybe there's something more to, you know, life than just having things. And, and you know, and I had a, you know, a whole great plan of, you know, I was going to be academically successful and, you know, a couple of, you know, career plans about, you know, again, and, and, and probably at all that is, is probably based around the selfish desire to really stick it to those people who, you know, who were mean to me, you know, when I was younger. Um, so it also a deeply unhealthy approach to pretty much anything. But, but the key part was, was that I, there needed to be that opening because uh, without that opening, um, you know, God, God is, is not a, a figure of dominance that he is going to force himself upon you. There has to be an opening. Um, and that for me was the opening uh, that led to when, um, when I was in high school, we were, we had a number of retreats and the good news and, and the, the positive news, the high school uh, youth system was much, much better than the, the, the dreadful elementary system. And they actually had retreats that, that were, you know, enjoyable and fun uh, and also actually connected to the faith. And the result of that, they had, and they typically had confession on these retreats. Uh, but on, on one experience, there were, I know, a, a, a very large retreat and growing up in Southeast Alaska, which is very much, uh, it's the last frontier in all of the good ways, but also kind of the ways that the church is, it's very much the unchurched. Um, so there's, there's one priest in the area. There's a, a huge number of youth. Somehow I ended up in line for confession. I'm not really sure how that happened, except by the grace of God. It took two and a half hours to get to confession. Um, and I stayed in line for confession, I was the very last person who, who went that evening. And again, the, the, the fact that, that any of that happened is just, is very clearly the grace of God. That's definitely not a me action of my, you know, amazing stick to or anything. Uh, but when, but when I went to the sacrament of confession, I made my first real confession that I'd ever made. Um, again, probably that, that something about spending, because when you're waiting in line for confession, you're in the presence of the blessed sacrament sitting in the chapel um, and something during that time um, softened hard enough that I made a real confession. And it was during that experience of the sacraments 
uh, of the sacrament of confession that I felt my first real experience of grace, that, that experience of this is something that's real uh, and life-changing um, in, that, in, in that experience. And in recognizing the experience of if this sacrament is actually real, there's actually something that happens here, then maybe all of this other Catholic stuff, like the Eucharist, for example, is also real. Um, which is, is funny because that's backwards than pretty much everybody else um, you know, experiences. It's, it's, it's almost always Eucharist first and then other sacraments. Um, but for me, it was, it was uh, confession first. Um, and then, which then, and that's, that's what opened up the world to, uh, to grace and to sacrament. And again, it's, it's, it's that it was the personal experience. There was nothing intellectual going on um, there um, that, that's occurring in any of that. There's, I didn't need to be persuaded of um, some truth of Catholicism. It wasn't that I, I either believed them or I didn't believe them. I, I knew what they were and just, I didn't care whether they were true or not. It just wasn't even relevant to, to my life, um, whether or not they were true. Uh, until I had that that experience of of grace, that and and the experience of grace was the experience of, uh, like Chrissy has said, that there is a God who is personal and who loves me specifically, um, as opposed to just you know God loves everyone, um, which is a, just a, a very generic message, which is is not really helpful to anyone in that moment. And so that was for me. So on one hand, uh, I mean technically it, it's. It's not a conversion. I was I was technically Catholic. We'd you know come into the faith. Um, I've been baptized as a Presbyterian, so I was already baptized. So it's just a matter of being kind of received in the faith, and you do the things when you're received into the faith. Uh, you get your first communion, and you're received, and that's kind of you know all it is. But there'd been, never been any sort of commitment whatsoever um, on my end to to being a Catholic, or really, I mean, really to being a Christian, other than I believe at a fundamental that God God exists, and the things the Bible says about Christ are probably true because I mean I. Just, just have just kind of assumed that they were and that was it but but that the difference between having any sort of an understanding or an, a belief versus it actually changing your life was the key difference of you know there's it's the difference between um just this kind of dry dead faith or a faith that's alive and that's real um and so that was the key experience for me and that's and and, and that opening up then allowed me to to experience the grace of the sacrament of um of the eucharist uh, which then allowed me to to experience in subsequent retreats uh, the experience of of the presence of the Holy Spirit in prayer that God hasn't just abandoned us here on this earth, but He's actually sent the Holy Spirit among us um, to to guide us, to help us, to assist us, um, and that the Holy Spirit is in fact real. It's not just uh, you know this kind of a little uh, picture of a dove that's up on the windows, but but the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity who is active in our lives, who will find ways to manifest himself to you um, that you may not expect and, and that will be transformative to you. And so I think those were the, the big pieces to me. And then as a result of that, that's what led to this continual deepening. And of course, the, you know, I mentioned the, the issue of, of the stubbornness and the needing to be broken. Uh, over and over again throughout my life, I can see whenever there are times that God would like to lead me somewhere, the answer all, almost always has to be, he has to let me get so desperate um, that I'm willing to listen to the fact that maybe he's calling me to something else, to something different, um, which is how I ended up in California, ended up working for the Colby Academy, um, you know, among many other things, is that, you know, lets you get to a place where, uh, where you have no other choice but to depend on him, um, that, you know, he's not going to force you into it, but, um, but he'll, he'll use, take advantage of whatever it might be to, to get you to the point where you can say, okay, yes, God, um, I need you, and, uh, I'll listen this time. Yeah. My conversion too. I remember those those dark times. Right? I, I went to public school as well, and we had we had a lot of good Catholics in my public school, which was a blessing to me. But I was my family was all Lutheran, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, and they were pretty solidly Lutheran. So it was pretty much every Sunday go. And my grandparents were a great example of of married life and such. But in public school, boy, was it just dark all the time. You know, I can look back and think, well, it was probably bad because of these things, but I could also just see that like the behaviors, particularly as you started getting into sixth grade, seventh, junior high, they're, they're all leading to more darkness. I mean, it was, it was self-destructive and I could see some of my, my classmates and such, you know, young, young ladies who just were vibrant and, and full of life. And all of a sudden they get in nasty relationships and they just look broken and it was so sad to see that so i could i could see that's not the right path but i didn't have a path you know and so 
my church, for me, my church kind of became that, well, this seems like the better route. There are at least happy people here. And uh, uh, I had a really good pastor, uh, Pastor Jeff Blaine, um, who was this young pastor and, you know, great voice, loved playing like classic rock songs on his guitar when we'd have get togethers, <laughs> loved science fiction and fantasy. So he introduced me into all these fun books that I just fell in love with. And it was, it got to the point where it's like, I want to be, I want to be like him. I want to do that sort of stuff. And, and I like the faith. So now I have to figure out why the Lutherans are right. And those Catholics, all my Catholic classmates are wrong. Why, why, why should they all be in our church instead of the church across the street? And that's always a problem when you're, if you don't want to become Catholic to start looking into the, right. the differences. <laughs> and my pastor was just so good though. So like we did one summer, we just started, it was probably my, after my sophomore year in high school or something, we started a big Bible study on the book of Romans because that was, you know, Luther's big book. And it was like, we're going to do this. And we went through all of it. And I was like, okay, I've got this. It's, it's a faith and not works. And my pastor was, was like, okay, let's go read James now. Uh, and so he was, he wasn't going to let me just get by with part of the Bible. So we went through James and I was like, oh, okay, well, this is, this is, you know, a different sort of thing. But at that point, you know, it's like, okay, I know I'm, I know I'm going to be a, a pastor, but then, you know, again, it's a great person in my life, but then he got called to go to a different perish further away so then all of the unraveling started to happen with that because um you know i was looking into all of these things reading things that really didn't love how luther's life turned out and i thought well if you're really good you probably should have a happy end of your life and this didn't seem really pleasant but start well actually even that that summer i got called with my pastor to be part of our synod convention to our so we were elected we were electing bishops and determining church doctrine. My, my, it's not a parish, my church. It elected me as a, you know, a, a rising junior in high school as one of the delegates to this. It was, I get my years confused because it was a long time ago now, but, but I got there and I thought I should not be here. There's no way that I should be, um, I had the same vote as my pastor did as far as determining the bishop. It's like, I don't, I don't know enough to do this. And, and then my pastor left and I got put on the parish um, call committee, interviewing new pastors to, and because I was young and I was excited about the faith. So they're like, yes, get in here and, and participate. But so just these things started coming up for me that, that they don't fit. You know, I knew enough that this was a bad idea that I shouldn't be determining church doctrine and I, I shouldn't be selecting the next pastor at our, at our church, you know, so, um, so I was kind of set myself aside though, in the, in the, in the public school, but then, you know, other than kind of continue, like you said, those dark times where it's just like, okay, I'm trying to be better and yet I'm not experiencing all of this worldly success. And I just realized there was something still wrong with me. Um, but then another friend opened a door. Um, there was a bunch of Catholics going to speak to junior high kids about chastity and abstinence from premarital sex was, was the big thing. And they asked me if I wanted to come because I was kind of vocal about my faith. And I had never heard that before. I had never heard that anybody would suggest that um, because my church didn't have moral teachings like that. And so it was just kind of assumed you did whatever and I, I got together to meet with some people there and they started giving me not just the, you don't do this because it's wrong and the Bible says it's wrong, but don't do this because you're going to ruin your life. You're going to, you're going to harden your heart. You're going to damage other people. And for me, that started to put the pieces together because it's like, I, I knew that was the case, but I didn't know that anybody actually talked about that. And then as I kept just studying and studying. So again, it's that intellect because I tend towards the intellect. I always want the reasons and you're, you're figuring out, okay, all of these things are, are, are there, but I'm still kind of thinking the Lutheran church and the Catholic church were just kind of a split and yeah, we had the truth. And I was, you know, I, I know we had different doctrines about 
the Eucharist, you know, and, and our Lord, but it's like, well, God, he's just giving it to us in a different way here at the church because, you know, he wouldn't just leave us without that. But then, you know, during my, after my junior year of high school, some of my friends who were Catholic invited me to this Catholic conference and it was all about the Eucharist. And that's where kind of the flip, the, the switch was flipped. And it's like, okay, now, now it's not just intellectual, but I want to receive our Lord and I'm not receiving him. And I can't unless I join the Catholic church. And once that original love was kind of enkindled for the Eucharist. So I'm, I'm following the normal path effort rather than the, the, uh, the, the your reverse path. But, but then it's just, you know, yeah, but then it just steamrolls and everything is, is, uh, you know, this is where you have to be. And like you, I think I just keep it's that's the start. And then fortunately I was able to go off to Thomas Aquinas college and get this great Catholic education, meet my wife who is a lifelong Catholic. So she could fill all these things. And, but I think I actually kind of did, did a reverse thing because I got so intellectual again. So it was this impassioned love of the Eucharist and of our Lord and excitement. And then it went all the way back into, well, now I've got to figure out, I can't eat meat on Fridays and I've got to get these things and I've got to do this. And I got to understand all these doctrine and I, you know, and so it became back into the head and it wasn't, I mean, it was probably, you know, I'm still going to church and I'm, I'm consoled by it and there's graces, but it took many years, I think, before I started to go back and think I'm missing something still. I'm missing what Chrissy, like you're talking about that, that love, that relationship and thinking this is the most important thing. It doesn't matter if I get all these doctrines right or if I, you know, work for a Catholic organization and help, help them to do all of these good things. That's not going to save me. So another kind of reconversion, even while I'm in the church, because those are, like you're saying, those are the important things. Those are the, and that, those are hard for me. It's still hard for me to, to kind of keep it, keep it from being, um, I'm saved because I did this great thing for the church in the world or um, because I worked really hard at these things, but rather just I'm being saved because of God's mercy and his love. And there's this forgiveness. I don't have to be perfect. He knows I'm not going to be perfect. So I'm the only one who's expecting that, um, those sorts of things. So, uh, you know, I like, I like that kind of, as you were saying, Everett, that con constantly kind of coming back. That's certainly my experience. Well, there's definitely the element of constant conversion. And I think what you mentioned is very much true of me as well. I mean, even after conversion, uh, I mean, the devil's always going to tempt us to based on on how on on what on certain areas. It doesn't tend to be he's going to give us something completely brand new because that's not going to appeal to us. And so to me, right, what's the temptation even after that that initial conversion and certainly entering into the life of grace and the life of the church? There's still, I mean, the, the desire was still, you know, I had all these great plans about how to be you know, very successful. Um, you know, I was going to, um, I mean, go off to school and, you know, pre-law and then law and then you know, probably, you know, international relations or the diplomatic corps, um, you know, or, or if not that, then, then the, the more fun piece be uh, statistical analysis and baseball and, and you know, rise up in the, the front office of baseball. And, 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 and so there's all these great plans that you have. And then it's just like, yeah, and, you know, I guess I'll just be Catholic while I'm doing those things, um, which, I mean, one, there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, it was just, it was not a part of none of those, the Catholic part was just kind of a, just an aside to that. Um, the temptation is back to, to the intellectual again, to the, the success piece. And again, as you say, and I think it's common for, for many, many new converts, especially those who have some sort of ties to the intellectual tradition, is that. Um, you dive deep into the intellectual tradition, which is a good thing, right? Diving deep into the intellectual tradition. But if, if you don't have the personal relationship, you don't have the faith, you don't have the love, then it can actually be really damaging. And, 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 and that's where, again, I think that the devil knows that, that he, can, he can tempt us, that he can offer us, he can offer something that looks like it's good. And it is good. It, it is a good, but it's just not the highest good. And so it's a lot easier to twist the truth than it is to just present a falsehood. Um, because those of us who are on the path, we can recognize and make, no, that's just not true at all. Um, that's an easy thing to reject, is rejecting the falsehood. It's a, lot, it's a lot harder to reject something that goes, yeah, that seems basically true. Um, and then you can kind of follow off on this path that ends up veering off 
you know, again, just you start off a couple degrees off center and you're just slightly off the mark and you, know, you head down, down and down. And all of a sudden you go, well, actually, I'm nowhere near, you know, I'm nowhere near the real truth because I've just kind of veered off following these things that that seem to be basically true. And it's it's so easy. Um, it's seductive in a way. The 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 intellectual piece can be seductive as well to us that we can see we can just journey down this path of um, of rigorism. I mean, it's become kind of a. It, uh, it's become a common insult these days, that, but Pelagianism, the idea of that, that you can save yourself um, through, through rigorism. And, and the fact is there are very few people who actually believe anything remotely like that. So, that, so as an insult, it's kind of a nonsense insult, but there, there are temptations there. And that's, and again, that's the piece, Chrissy, you were talking about a little bit, and Steve, you're talking about as well, is that the idea of the faith versus works distinction and, and the, the, the stereotype the Catholics believe for saved by works. Well, the reason that stereotype exists is because there is that temptation towards that rigorism that we are saved because of our you know wonderful blacks. But the truth of Catholicism is very clear that no, that has nothing to do with it. We're saved by 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 grace. Um, we're saved it's a completely unwarranted, unmerited gift of God that that our salvation is, is comes about. Uh, and our participation is response to that grace. Um, it isn't it isn't any sort of worthiness in our own end. Um, so it's 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 a uh, it's tricky and it's challenging. And, and and different people are gonna be tempted in different ways. You're know, gonna be tempted to to different things. But you know, for people who have, have an interest in the intellectual, it's it's easy to to go down that route. I certainly found that you know, both looking at vocations and you're trying to figure out what you're good at, and you know, what what is God's plan for you, you know, and you know, so in my mind, it's kind of like, well, I want to build these big things for the for the church, you know, you know, that's the temptation, or that's the that's the little bit of a lie, though, that I'm telling myself, or was telling myself, so it shouldn't be. But it ultimately realizing, you know, going through some of that where it's like, I'm, I'm going to do all these great things, I've got these gifts, God clearly wants me to do this. But then it, for, for me, at least, and I, I think it's, well, I'm not sure how universal it is. But the temptation then is that the salvation is coming because I'm doing these things and accomplishing these things, where whether it's successful or not ends up being that's in God's hands then. So um, I can do every, I can use the gifts, but it's up to, it's unless the Lord builds the house, you know, and in vain to the laborers build. So that, that's, that's been a challenge for me to think, well, I've always accomplished things in my life. So shouldn't that be what my salvation is, is about is the, are those accomplishments, but um, I'm just going through the, the, the story of a soul, the diary of a little flower. And she's so good at, at, at pointing out, you know, do doing the things that you are, you should do, but it's, it is about that love. So I see it's about that love. It's, it's still something I'm obviously working on, but um, yeah, I, I wrote down a quotation that I'm just going to throw out there just because I was so struck by this. This is from C.S. Lewis's Weight of Glory. Um, and he says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person that you could talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are in some degree helping each other to one, one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them, that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There, not, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And, and to me, that was so powerful just because it doesn't, to think it doesn't really matter what I accomplish, but it's the people, you know, it's that love of God and the love of Jesus and the love of him in those other people that make all the difference. And so that's what I strive for now, I guess, but don't succeed very often. Shortly, shortly after I converted to Christianity, so this was before I was a Catholic, um, I had a close friend die. I was 20, I believe. And um, immediately I, knew it became very real that I, I knew I would one day have to face God 
and it could be really soon, you know, it could be like tomorrow. Um, and I had a whole set of ideas of things I would be doing with my life. Um, and I did them because I enjoyed them. So it was, it was a self-indulgent kind of, um, you know, reason I, you know, I enjoyed them. They were fun. They were enjoyable. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go in this direction. And, um, I immediately after my friend died, I thought I would not be proud to stand before God and say, I spent the time that you gave me on earth like this. I, because the only thing I could say is I pleased myself. I, I, I did this because I enjoyed it. Um, and so that, that helped me because you're like, oftentimes when you have a conversion, your, your life is going to change in big ways. Um, and so you have to often let go of things that you thought were going to be, um, sometimes you have to let go of people that you thought you would always have around. So it happened for me kind of quickly, um, where I, I was really able to say, I'll, I'll, I'll put all of what I had imagine for my life, I'll put that behind because I just want to be able to be proud, you know, to say, this is, this is how I spent my time and not, not pleasing myself, but for, uh, for other people, helping other people or for, you know, I wanted to be a part of the, of the kingdom of God, you know, cause it became real also that I'm thinking like, do, can I really expect that when I die, I'll be ready for the king from God, for God's kingdom. Um, if I've lived my whole life here and, and, by the standards of this worldly kingdom. And so you, you do often have to change your ideas and you don't, your idea of success kind of changes as well. You know, what success meant to me before is not the same thing that success means to me now. Um, I think for my husband, it happened a couple years after me because he was, and he really had to change his whole um, focus because he was going to school to prepare to become a pastor. And, and it was set up for him to do that. So, so it was like, he really, I mean, it was almost like, what could he do with this degree? He'd be lucky if he could do anything with this degree after this, other than become a pastor. And so for him, it was really a big deal too, because it was, it was really like a whole change in focus of what the whole, what his whole future would be. Um, and so it was really like stepping out into the dark and just kind of, um, just kind of saying, okay, we trust, we don't know what it's going to look like, but we trust that it's going to be um, everything it, everything it should be. And, and, and it has been, I mean, we couldn't, I mean, for me, I couldn't have imagined getting to do the things I've gotten to do, uh, you know, with, with, with my goals in the life I had previously, we've been so blessed to, to, to get to do the things we've, we've done and the things we've learned and the, the places we've been. And so, it's, it's amazing because you just feel incredibly cared for when you can put it all together and you can see how all of those dark times were, were there for you. You learned from them and you needed them. And all of those really good times, all those really high, you know, where you're on the mountain that, that God orchestrated all of it in his divine providence. It was all, and, and it just makes you feel incredibly cared for because even those horrible um, days are a part of the plan for you. They're, they're not wasted. I think that's absolutely crucial to the the notion of of the life of grace is, um, I mean, not quite to the same level of, of what you're describing, but uh, I mean, I spent two years in the seminary, uh, and when I discerned uh, that I wasn't called to be a priest, uh, the answer is what then? I mean, I'm getting this degree in philosophy, um, and I mean, philosophy on one hand is good for lots of things, but it isn't good for anything specifically, and I'd spent the last two years of my life preparing my life, living my life, thinking about my life in a way that would be focused around the priesthood. You know, what am I doing now that I'm not going to be a priest? Um, and that's certainly, I mean, that was a, that was a dark time, a difficult time for me, very much so. Um, and then, I mean, saying the things that led me to Colby, again, we had to go through a dark time as a family where we were really struggling financially to get to a point where I'd be even open to the fact of taking a job in, in California uh, again. And, and, and people, I mean, they laugh a little when I talk about this, but I don't, I, having grown up in, in Alaska, the idea of living in California was just about the worst thing imaginable for me. Um, of, I mean, I loved the, you know, just the, everything I loved about it. And there were going to be lots and lots of people and it's going to be crowded and it was going to be hot and it didn't rain. I mean, pretty much everything was just terrible. It was just not interested in, but got to a point where that I could be desperate enough that I'd be open to see there's this opportunity at a place called Colby County, which is a Catholic homeschool. And while I know people homeschool, I wasn't homeschooled myself, but I'm interested in education. So I'd spent time in teaching. Um, and I knew a whole bunch of people who'd gone to Colby's day school and then I'd met at college. And especially when I had 
um, you know, we're newly married with a one-year-old son. I knew all of the families of those people. And so I knew that the Napa, California had good Catholic families that I could look to as, a, as you know, good married couples that I could look up to as examples in faith. And it was only, again, out of, I was desperate enough that I could open my eyes up to see the, the reality and the beauty of the opportunity that was present there to be able to do that. Uh, and even still, I mean, if, if Colby hadn't flown me into Sacramento, California, uh, to, when I interviewed for the job, if they'd flown me into San Francisco, I probably wouldn't have taken the jobs. I would have had to drive through San Francisco to get to Napa to interview. And I, I just say it wouldn't, it would have been, it would have been too much. I would have been out for, for the, the, the Alaska boy from a town of 30,000 people. Um, just would have been a, a straight up no. But again, that grace led me to, to Colby Academy. And, and just as you said, Chrissy, the, the amazing opportunities that, that I have had, my family has had as a result of this, to be a part of this incredible mission of supporting families as they educate their children. Um, as my own family has grown you know, over time, it, it's been an amazing opportunity. And it's, and it's a, the result of uh, all of those things that happened before me, all of the, the dark times, all of the good times, um, all of the blessings, all the times that it, of, of, of God letting me get desperate enough that I was actually willing to listen to him um, and, and follow where he was leading me, led me to Colby. And, and now, uh, you know, just, uh, it's, I've been in Oklahoma now for a year. And again, it's a result of, you know, I don't, I don't end up in Oklahoma if I don't move to California. Um, I, don't, I certainly don't, I'm not with Colby Academy. Um, and so, you know, right, where, where do our lives end up if we, we don't, we aren't open and responsive to the call of God? And, and I think what you say is that looking back with gratefulness on the incredible blessings that are a result of, of those times when, when you manage to, uh, to successfully follow God, that you manage to kind of get out of your own way and, um, and just surrender. It's beautiful. Again, I talked about the blessing of, of being here in Colby and being a part of this mission. That's absolutely true. Um, and, and we always hear from the families that that's a blessing to serve with them, uh, which is great. I, I think one thing that, that maybe we don't talk about enough uh, and share is the story of what a blessing Colby is to those of us who work here. Um, uh, first of all, certainly the opportunity to be a part of, of, of Catholic apostolate is amazing. But more than just that is as an organization that uh, cares about the apostolate, not just in, in serving those uh, families who have chosen to partner with the education of their children, but also those of us who have, who have come to work here it has been uh, an incredible blessing the the manner in which uh, Colby as an organization has uh, cared for me, cared for my family um, over the number of years. And, and there are so many examples, but I think the, the two that immediately come to mind is the way the the support of, of prayer um, for families in difficult situations um, and I know many, many of our employees have, have gone through very difficult situations with their families uh, and the support that's been present um, from Colby for that has been incredible. Um, you know, we had one a particularly difficult pregnancy that resulted in one of our children being born very, very early to the point of doctors were concerned about uh, the function of his lungs, um, you know, and how he's going to do. Um, I went to, um, I went to the hospital with a, a container of holy water in my pocket because I wanted to be able to baptize him because I wasn't sure how he was going to do. Mm -hmm. um, and but the we you know, we were able to turn uh, turn all that over to prayer to to our community. Um, and again, by the grace of God, they got him enough uh, of the you know the, the steroid injections that he needed. Came out. He did spend a little bit of time in you know in the NICU, but a very short period of time overall was doing incredibly well. And again, I think the part of that's, again, the, the testimony of prayer and support coming from the community. And, you know, as well, uh, and certainly some of the, many of the Colby employees know, uh, we've uh, had four miscarriages. Uh, so we've been through four losses, uh, which are were absolutely heartbreaking. But one of the key things to get you through something like that is the support of a friends and community. And the Colby community, uh, the, the, the staff and faculty and, and everybody involved has been incredible at the level of support and love shared um, for, for our family in, in those very difficult times. So I can't say enough about, about that piece, about piece that, that maybe many of our parents, they, they don't hear about, they don't think about, they don't experience um, because they're not here on the inside. But I think just, you know, it'd be nice to, so the people experience, hear that as well as that um, it's a blessing to be working for Colby, not only because of who we get support, but because of who we get to work with and what they do for us in, in you know, sharing the desire to uh, to build up the kingdom and to support us as as Catholic families. So it's been an incredible opportunity and a great blessing.
I would like to second that when we, when, when Jordan and I moved to Napa, um, I was pregnant with our third daughter. We had two daughters. I was pregnant with our third and it was, it was some of the hardest times of our lives financially. And just, uh, kind of, we were, we felt lost a little bit, like which, which way are we going? We had just gotten back from Germany and you all there, Everett and all of the Rolls family, we just totally treated us like family. And, and I still feel, even my kids can still feel it that Colby is like, is our only Catholic family. We don't have any other Catholic family. So Colby is our Catholic family. And when we have some, you know, something that we really need prayer for, we go straight to, to Dina, to, you know, to the prayer chat. Um, but it, it is, it is definitely a wonderful Catholic family to have. They just welcomed us with open arms and I've never, I've never experienced anything like that, but it's, it feels like I, you know, I didn't have a, I didn't have a great family experience. So coming to Napa and experiencing that was just such a blessing because it was like, this is family. This is what an, you know, a family should feel like. Um, uh, but we were complete strangers. So it was, it was nice. We weren't strangers for long, <laughs> but, um, yes, a huge blessing when we, when we need any kind of prayer, the, the Colby chat, the prayer chat is where we go. I've, I've loved being in the Colby community the last year, but you know, I, all of our families out there are part of our community and we don't get a chance to meet them as, as much as I would like, or well, as, and interact with them. But, but we are here for prayer for them to support them and to help them with all of those struggles too. So it's, I love that we can do that in a in, you know, as much as we can, and we want to do more, but that some people don't like you're saying, Christy, they don't have a Catholic community. They don't have a Catholic family. And I like that we can kind of be a little bit of a Catholic family to those people, even if they don't have something local or don't have anything out there. So hopefully we can help them feel part of the family here when, when they're little. It's deeply humbling. There have been a number of times when I am kind of in my, I'm just on a roll with something and I'll, and the response I get back from somebody at Colby just totally just stops like, okay, hold on. That is the Holy Spirit right there. Just stop what you're doing, Bonnie, and recognize that right there. That is what that was. Yeah, it's deeply humbling and wonderful. I, this conversation was inspired by some conversations that, that, uh, the Colby folks, as we say, have on from on a regular basis. These are the types of conversations. It's, it's just amazing and what a gift and surprising in wonderful ways. So uh, thank you, Everett, Chrissy, and Stephen for spending this time with me and sharing your stories. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you. A pleasure. Subscribe to the Colby cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.